Well, take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. I told you I'd be bringing a message tonight that I have preached as my uh, sermon in view of a call at every church I've ever gone to. Um, and then, and I only pastored three churches, but uh, God has used this one verse of Scripture, Deuteronomy 31.12, to be uh, our real uh, heartbeat in ministry for 35 years. And yes, we've been married 34, all right? But I've been in the ministry 35 years. And so uh, when you look at this verse, I am praying God will use it uh, in not only this church, but all the churches represented in the church, just like he has in the churches where I've pastored. And it really tells you the why. Everybody say why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we have church? Why, what's our purpose? Always ask the question, what's the purpose in doing what we do? And I hope tonight that you will get that answer right here in, in this passage of Scripture. You know, revival is for God's people. In other words, you can't revive what hadn't been vibed, all right? And I'm telling you, awakening is for uh, the world at large because they need to come to Christ. They're dead in trespasses and sin. They need to be awakened and come to life in Christ. But revival is for the church. And so what I'm trying to say tonight is this. Before something's going to happen out there, something has to happen in here. All right? Let me tell you, for almost 20 years, I pastored First Baptist Church of Lavaca, Arkansas. It's a town of 1,032 population when I went there. Our first Sunday, we had 196 people. When I left, all, uh, almost 20 years later, 19 years later, we had over 2,500 members in a town of 1,000. People would drive 45 minutes one way to get there. I'm telling you, just an incredible church. And uh, the church where we serve now in Virginia called us three times. They called in 99, in 05, and in 06. The difference is in 06, God was speaking to us in our devotions and told us to go. And Tammy got diagnosed at Christmas with a brain tumor, and we told God it wasn't a good time. Have you ever told God it just wasn't a good time <laughs> to go? And yet, we knew God told us to go, and like Abraham, we went to a place that we'd never seen. When we went, we went in view of a call. We went only based on our devotions. And uh, so when we, uh, we were supposed to be there on uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know how the weekend view of a call thing works. On Tuesday of that week, uh, Tammy was crying, and she said, I'm so weak, I don't know if I can travel. And I said, well, baby, I don't want to go. This church, I've been at 19 years. Who wants to stay 19? You want to stay 20? 25, you know? And I said, it's the only home my church, uh, our kids know, so I'm going to call the chairman and tell him we're not coming. And so we sat there crying, and we said, well, we, we said we would go only because of our devotion. So let's see who our devotion is today. And on that Tuesday morning, our devotion was Jeremiah 1-7. Wherever I send thee, thou shalt go. Well, that settled it. We dried up the tears. I knew God killed me if I didn't go. Amen. And so I just, <laughs> hey, we said, we're going. And I'm telling you, uh, we, we knew we were called. And I want you to know, hey, I love Southern Baptists. I, 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 I was born and raised Southern Baptist. Never been anything except Southern Baptist. Somebody asked me what time, what, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? I said, I'd be ashamed. But anyway, I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> but it's my family, and I love the family. But I want you to know what keeps me going on Monday morning what keeps me going during the tough times is not being Southern Baptist. 
It's not any degree hanging on the wall. It is the call of God. The call of God. You know that you were drafted, that God called you and sent you to that church. Well, God picked us up, moved us to Virginia. And God's got a sense of humor. He took me out of a town of a thousand population where I spent almost 20 years. Dropped me in the middle, 1.7 million people. Now, God's got a sense of humor. I'm just telling you. I'd never sat in traffic like that anywhere. I mean, it's unbelievable. So I'm just telling you, I am a country boy at heart. I've got two master's degrees and two doctorates, but I never let them get in the way of my preaching. Amen. I just want you all to know, I'm going to preach tonight. And uh, it's not the size of the church that matters. Listen to me. It's the spirit. It's the spirit that really matters. We uh, have a highway called George Washington Highway. We're right there between Williamsburg and Virginia Beach. And so right there at Jamestown, Yorktown. History Triangle, they call it. Did you know the Protestant gospel came to America through Jamestown? And I'm telling you, the East Coast is now a dark place spiritually. And I'm praying that God will let uh, our church there and that area be a catalyst for revival in 2019. And I want to encourage you tonight. You know what Lavaca stands for? It's Spanish. It means cow. We went, we went on a trip down to Mexico one time, mission trip. Had a church van, and, and it was a bus, really, and it said First Baptist Labaca, and everybody on the streets were laughing. First Baptist Church of the Cow. That's, that's what it meant. <laughs> but I want you to know, if it can happen in Cowtown, and if it can happen in Jamestown, and if it can happen in Yorktown, it can happen in your town. Amen. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this verse of Scripture we're about to read. And I pray that you would burn it in our hearts tonight. Let me say everything you want me to say. Keep me from saying anything you don't want me to say. And when the invitation is given, Lord, I pray that you'll change us. Draw us to yourself. Revive your church. Revive your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand one more time in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. Deuteronomy 31, 12. Gather the people together. That's what we've done, right? The men and women and the little ones, the stranger who is within your gates, that, here's the purpose clause, that they may hear, that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. That, my friend, has always been God's plan. God bless you. You can be seated. Gather the people. That's the title of the message. You know, one verse gives our mission here. It answers the why. Really, the what doesn't matter. The where doesn't matter. The when doesn't matter. The how doesn't matter if you don't know the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Three simple insights. Number one, it starts with a command. It starts with a command. Gather the people. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. You know, uh, being Baptist, we are people of the book. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. I heard Adrian Rogers say, man only has three problems, sickness, sorrow, and death. And this is the only book that has the answer to all three. Amen. We're people of the book. And so this is not some suggestions from the Savior. These, this is not helpful hints from heaven. This is the Word of the living God. He said, gather the people. And I'm telling you, you, you don't want me to tell you what you want to hear Listen, you need me to tell you what you need to hear. 
People don't need the word of man. They need the word of God. Now, here's what you need to know. 94% of all churches in America are losing ground. 94% of all churches in America are losing ground and reaching their community. Only 2% will ever get to 1,000. Only 2%. One of the greatest stories I know and one of the saddest stories I just heard is the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. You talk about a great church. They were baptizing 1,000 people when nobody was baptizing 1,000 people. Tammy and I got married in 1985, and her aunt had a condo down in uh, uh, Tampa, um, uh, Clearwater, on the beach. And we went down there for our honeymoon. On Saturday night, I started looking for a church. And I said, I've always heard of the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. I want to go check it out. Do you know how far it is from Tampa to Jacksonville? We got there in the middle of the night. We did, in the middle of the night. I went to church the next morning. They met me in the parking lot, met me at the door, came in. I wanted to sit on the second row, whole row of senior adult ladies. And I want you to know, one of them stood up and said, we are so happy to have you here at First Baptist today. And she said, we want you to sit with us. I said, well, there's not room on that row. She said, yes, there is too. She looked at all of the ladies. She must have been the head of the WMU or the head of that class. <laughs> she looked at all those ladies and she said, scoot down. And then she made this chiropractic move on me and just forced us into <laughs> that seat. And it was the joy of our life to give up her seat for that young couple. Greatest church. I'm telling you, if, if not the greatest, one of the greatest churches in America. All through the 70s, all through the 80s, all through the 90s. They announced two weeks ago that the 10, acre, excuse me, the 10 city blocks that they bought downtown and paid cash for. They own downtown Jacksonville. They ain't got enough people or money to keep them up. In the next five years, it'll take $72 million just to keep up those buildings. They're going back not to the auditorium. They got a 10,000 seat auditorium. They're selling it. They're going back to the original auditorium. It seats about 1,500. They're going to put everything on one block. They're going to borrow over $30 million to survive on that one block. I'm just telling you, but for the grace of God, it'll be the church I pastor and the church you pastor. Anytime you hear bad news, you better say, but for the grace of God, there go I. You talk about praying for a pastor. We need to pray for that pastor. We need to pray for that church. I'm just praying that they'll be able to regroup and be the great church that they once were. It's going to look different. It's going to be different. But I'm just telling you, listen, the greatest hindrance to future success is past success. Just because you've been a great... How many great churches can you name that now is just a name of the past? And so I'm talking to you tonight about the importance of your church gathering the people together. I'm trying to get across to you that methods change, that music changes, but the message and the mission never changes. And too often churches have been willing to change the message before they change their methods. I, I would dare to say you could preach heresy in most Southern Baptist churches and they wouldn't even recognize it. You could preach heresy in most Southern Baptist churches they don't even know what they believe. They couldn't name the ten doctrines of Scripture or eight. It's going to how you group them in systematic theology. But I'm just telling you, our people don't know what they believe. A guy can get up and he can preach heresy and they would not say a word. But you change the order of worship. 
You move the offering from one place to another. Move the flowers down front. They'll run you out of town because they love their methods more than they love the mission and the message. And I'm telling you, I'm not in love with our methods. I'm in love with the master. I'm not in love with our system. I'm in love with the Savior. The Bible says, he who winneth souls is wise. We've got one mission. It's still the Great Commission. And, and, and you know uh, what, what the Bible says. He who winneth souls is wise. And yet, I tell you, we've got a lot of smart people in Baptist churches, but few wise. Because we've got few soul winners. Now, hear me. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. You can make excuses or make progress, but you can't make both. I want to share my heart with you. Churches in America, they are traditional, they're highly structured, ineffective, and irrelevant. It's like an act of Congress to get anything done. You got to go through, listen, 25 people, two committees, and a business meeting to change a light bulb in a Baptist church. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I've been pastoring for 35 years. And I'm telling you, we ought to be mobilized for ministry. It ought to be when God lays it on your heart, you ought to see how quickly you can get it done. It's kind of like the story I heard one time about these boys in college. They wanted to uh, steal the school mascot. The only problem was uh, the mascot was a goat. And they got that goat up in their dorm room and hid away in the closet. And one roommate looked at the other and said, well, we got him hid in the closet, but what about the smell? The other roommate said, I don't know, but the goat would just have to get used to it. I'm telling you, you can't ignore the smell of a goat. You can't ignore the smell of a college dorm room. And we can't ignore the fact that 94% of our churches are declining. They're dying. They are losing ground, not reaching our community or the culture. What's the answer? Gather the people. We do it on a regular basis. We do it on Sunday morning. It's called worship. We also do it in small group. And I don't care what you call your small group. You can call it Sunday school like I grew up in. We still have Sunday school. Technically, we have what I call on-campus and off-campus groups. You know, we've got these buildings and we these education buildings, and we use them for the glory of God. We've got on-campus groups on Sunday morning. And then, listen, 1.7 million people, they're not all driving to one building. And so we're reaching our neighborhoods. And we have people meeting in homes. And, and, and I, I, that is the pattern in the book of Acts. Now, if y'all don't get into this sermon, it's going to be really long. I'm just telling you. I preach better when I get some feedback. Listen, the book of Acts, they met in the temple, and then they went house to house. That is worship, like we're doing here, and then house to house. Listen, we want people to know God. We want them to find community. And, and a fine community, I'm just telling you, as the church gets larger, the church has to get smaller. Uh, listen, this old country preacher, you talking about God having a sense of humor. And I'm not bragging. God knows my heart. We do not have it figured out. We got more that needs to be fixed than you can imagine. It is overwhelming. We got over 11,000 members. We got five locations. And I'm telling you, I, tonight, we don't have it all together. Tammy and I were making a long list, two pages on the way out here traveling, all the things I need to fix when I get home. And I'm just saying, you need to get you out some paper and start walking around your church and looking at what a guest sees when they drive up, what they're experiencing. This isn't in my notes, but it's good preaching. How do they know where to park? How do they know what door to walk in? How do they know where the nursery is? How do they know what time the service starts? See, we've been here. 
But I'm telling you, we're here for those that are not yet here. This is not a country club. You're welcome. We're here for those that are not yet here. And so uh, I just want you to know it's important that we gather the people on a regular basis. Listen, we gather the people. This is going to shock you. And the purpose, the why, is not to teach the Bible. You say, what? No, it's to teach people the Bible. If you don't believe that, go teach those empty chairs in that classroom next Sunday. We teach people the Bible. This brick and mortar is not the church. People make up the church of the living God. And so hear me. It's important uh, that we have small groups. And I told you, and you don't have to do it our way. But we, we've gotten to the place that we have free market groups. You know what that means? People are already meeting in groups. They meet with runners, antique car club. They, they meet with their buddies and have lunch together, have breakfast together. You name it, our people are meeting at the gym, at work, everywhere else. So I tell them, listen, I want you to do ESPN. You can remember that. ESPN. I want you to get together for encouragement. I want you, S stands for scripture, read the word of God, E-S-P. P stands for pray, you read the word of God, then you pray together about the word of God, and E-S-P-N, N stands for next step. Get them to take the next step. For some, that's to be saved. For some, that's to be baptized. For some, that's to find a church home. For some, that's to get into a group. Are y'all getting anything out of this sermon? And so we put group, listen, we put group in a box. That's what we call it, group in a box. And we got the curriculum in there and the list that they can use to teach from. Because you got to have some con- control over it. And if you don't, not, nah, they'll be teaching heresy. Hello. And, and so we, we, we just, we, our motto is kind of like Home Depot. If you can do it, we can help. <laughs> now, why am I going to make them leave the group they're in to come meet at our group? Why don't I just let them take the church to their group? Amen? Amen. And so, uh, Listen, if we're going to carry out this command, you've got to think anticipation. You've got to dream big. Know your possibilities. Uh, my mentor in church growth is a man by the name of Cliff Palmer. He built the largest church in Arkansas, the First Baptist Church of, of uh, Springdale, Arkansas. And uh, he pastored Grand Avenue in Fort Smith before that. And went back to the place where he was uh, saved and called to preach, First Baptist Centerton. And he grew all three of those churches. He's 94 years old. And I flew in early to be able to drive down to Rogers, Arkansas to go see him. He's confined, he's on hospice and in a hospital bed. And oh, what a sweet visit we had with him. You know what the 94-year-old man asked me? What are your dreams? What are your dreams? Old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. He said, what are your dreams? I looked at that 94-year-old man so close to heaven, and I said, my soul, whatever they are, they're not, they're not big enough. I knew the answer to it. I ask you tonight, what are your dreams? Make it personal to you. Little thinkers are big stinkers. Brother Art Leary, he's in his 80s. He was chairman of the committee that called us to Liberty there in Virginia. A few weeks after I'd been there, he asked me, he said, what do you think we can run? I said, I don't know yet. He said, well, as I pray about it, I think we can run over 20,000 in his 80s. That's vision. But I ask you tonight, if we reach 20,000, what would that be among 1.7 million people? It'd be a BB in a bucket. 
I ask you tonight to dream and to dream big. We serve a big God. You got to think not only anticipation, but think organization. Now, we group people by age and grade or season of life at church. And, and I know that there are those who always have kind of been against that, you know. You, listen, if you, I can prove it to you. Have promotion Sunday, and, and, and their theme song will be, I shall not be moved. They're not going anywhere, all right? So what I would do as a pastor, I'd always keep them honest and put the right age outside the door, all right? Because it's not about you. We really don't care if you promote or not. The whole issue is when the 30-year-old or the 20-year-old, the 40-year-old comes to church and they go to their class that's supposed to be 20-year-old and everybody in there is 80, we got a problem. Okay? So, you, I mean, it's all about grouping that way. If y'all don't like the way we group by age or grade or season of life, maybe we could try some uh, creative ways. We could put some scales out there and weigh everybody and group everybody according to weight. <laughs> Or we could give everybody an IQ test, but there'd be some big feet in the nursery, I'm telling you. <laughs> you got to think organization. We organize people, listen, by age, by grade for children, by season of life, but also by neighborhoods. Uh, geography, where people live. Do you understand where we live? It's all bridges and tunnels. All water and very little land. And so I'm telling you, we, we try to group people based on where they live. Here it is. If you're going to carry out this command to gather the people, you've got to think motivation. Motivation. In other words, enjoy what you do. Don't just endure life. Enjoy it. What happened to serve the Lord with gladness? And yet, the typical way a Baptist church gets somebody to serve is to have a nominating committee. And they, they say, listen, we need a teacher for those honorary junior high boys. And we've asked everybody in the church, and they've turned us down. And you're the last one. So we really believe God's leading us to you. <laughs> Listen, we need some people excited about reaching the next generation, mentoring the next generation. I know it's going to sting what I'm about to say, but it is truth. You've got to make up your mind. Do you love your music or do you love your grandchildren? You know, the three, listen, when I went to be his youth pastor in 1984, you had to be music and youth. It was a combination. Whether you could sing or not, I was music and youth. All right? You know, the number one question back then, what kind of organ do you have? What kind of piano do you have? And what edition of the hymn book do you use? I mean, that was it. None of that exists anymore. I'm just telling you. They don't use organs anymore. We don't have hymn books. We have screens. I'm just telling you, the world has changed around us. And, and you can see it. We've introduced drums and orchestra and robes. Don't you remember when they brought the robes out and put the choir in robes? And we used to have at least three solos every Sunday. The orchestra did one and the choir did one. And there was a soloist that did one. You had pageants and living pictures and living Christmas tree. And I'm just telling you, it's a new day. I don't understand millennials. I've, I've got four kids, and I, you know, I, 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 they keep me young, but they drive me crazy. <laughs> millennials, they don't like presentational music. They don't want to see it unless somebody sing to them. They want to go to the rock concert and jump up and down, at the, the, and they want to participate. Well, praise God, they want to participate. So we have a lot of music that's more participation. I remember the, the first church there at Bowman. Um, 
two things happened in that church. One, on a Sunday morning, we had everybody to write down their age. Don't put your name on it, just your age. And put it in the offering plate. Come back tonight, we'll tell you what we're going to do with it. We took up all those little slips of paper and we gave the average age of the church. And basically, this is what was said on Sunday night. If we don't do something to reach young people in our community, this church will close its doors in about 15 years. And you know what? Those senior adults rallied and said, hey, let's, let's have a children's program. Let's have a youth program. Let's build a gym. And you know what the young families did once they got there? They said there are three flights of stairs to get up in this building. It, looked like, it literally was built after the Civil War. looked like a government building in Washington, all the steps. So they put in an elevator for the senior adults. I'm just telling you, that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is multi-generational. And I love my senior adults. And I'm telling you, we would not be where we are today without them. I am standing on the shoulders of those who came before me. And I honor them and I love them. But you can't build a church based on your senior adults because in five years they'll be in glory. You've got to reach young families. Here it is. You've got to think preparation. In other words, if you think you've already arrived, you have. You've gone as far as you're ever going to go. All of us are still growing in our faith. No one has arrived. I think about Miss, Miss Joyce Moore. She was at the church in Arkansas. And, and she, we were introducing courses back then, you know. And Oh, she hated them. Oh, she didn't like them at all. But her husband died. She's a widow. And one Sunday she came up to me and she said, uh, Pastor, I got to where I like those little ditties. I said, little ditties? She said, yeah, you know, those little VBS courses we sing in church. She said, I didn't like them at first. She said, but the other night, said, I was so lonely. And said, it was just me and the Lord. And I started singing one of those little ditties. And the presence of God became so real in that room. She said, I got to where I, I like those little ditties. <laughs> She's growing in her faith. I can tell you about Miss, Miss Jackie Claire. She just turned 90 in our church. She's on the second row, way right where you are. She's right there in a wheelchair. And they bring her down front. Our music's loud. I'm telling you, uh, you wouldn't like our music. I'm just telling you, you wouldn't like it. I, not, I don't like it half the time. <laughs> I was raised Southern Gospel, Quartet, you know, Gaither Music. I mean, Stamps Baxter. That's what I was raised on. It's not about what I like. She's down here, 90 years old, in a wheelchair. This young couple came for the first time the other Sunday. She said, oh, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. I just love my church. Said, the music's good. The preaching's good. You're just going to love it. You're going to love it. She's a sweetheart. She's always encouraging. And, and I don't know why it is that God has to take those. Because there's a whole lot of grumpy old people out there. <laughs> And, I, and when, when the good ones die, I say, Lord, why did you have to take them? I could give him a list of those I wanted him to take. Hello? And you're laughing because you feel the same way. But I'm just telling you. Listen, I cannot stand to be in a dead church service. You know why? Here's why. Because God's not dead. God's not dull, God's not cold, God's not boring, so why should worship be that way? Listen, I'd rather give birth to a porcupine than to be in a dead <laughs> church service. 
think allocation. You got to provide the space. You didn't let your shoe tell your foot how big it could get. And you got to keep providing the space. I love the story in 2 Kings chapter 4 about the empty jars. Did you know that when the, the jars ran out, the oil stopped flowing? As long as you'll provide the jars, God will provide the oil. And, and so you can't always build a building, but listen. We have 10 services every Sunday. 10 services every Sunday. We have 25 services every Easter and Christmas. So you just got to provide multiple options for people to come. Listen, I, I was raised Baptist. I never went to a Christmas Eve service in my life. In Georgia, we didn't have Christmas Eve services. You're at home with your family on Christmas Eve. Where you ought to be. I went out there to the East Coast. Everybody had Christmas Eve service. I said, we never have one. They said, we haven't. And I noticed our people, they're military. They come from all around the world. And they go to all these other churches for Christmas Eve service. And I realized that I was stupid to think that I had to do it the way I was raised. We have Christmas Eve services. I'm telling you, we have Good Friday services. And I'm, and, and I'm telling you, God shows up. You know why? It's not about what I like. It's about reaching. We're here for those that are not yet here. Are y'all getting anything out of this sermon? And what you really got to do is not just provide the space. And by the way, your children's space has got to be the best. I haven't been to the nursery, hadn't seen it, don't want to see it. This is not personal. Any church, if you want to reach young families, you got to have a good nursery, a safe nursery, a clean, good-smelling nursery. Adults will meet anywhere, but they're not going to drop their kids off. If it's not good space. And yet, in all our churches, senior adults have the best space. I'm just telling you. And they ought to. They deserve it. But get your nursery up to date. Listen. We've got to make room. Not just in the building, but room in your heart. For people who are not like you. That's the hardest thing. I was at a buffet, Chinese buffet. I love a buffet. You know what buffet stands for? Big, ugly, fat friends eating together. I love a buffet. <laughs> I was at the buffet, and this old boy in front of me, he had his pants down to about right here, had on red underwear. I mean, about ruined my lunch. <laughs> you do know you can determine a person's age by how they wear their pants. A little baby can run around with no diaper at all. We don't think anything about that. Teenagers, they wear theirs way down here, underwear showing. Senior adults wear theirs up to here. I'm just telling. <laughs> and here it is. Listen, they come in. And really, this generation is smarter than we ever were. We would not dare wear pants that were too short. We call them high watermark. So you always had to go buy some new Levi's. All right? This generation, when they outgrow their pants, they just keep sliding them down, buy some new underwear. Underwear's cheaper than blue jeans. <laughs> Give them credit, all right? Make room in your heart for people that are not like, like you. I'm telling you, hear me, hear me, hear me. People today come in with body piercing. They look like they fell on a tackle box, got fishing lures hanging all over them. They got tattoos everywhere. This generation loves tattoos. I'm just telling you, they love them. They love them. They love them. I don't have one, but you know what? That's okay. That's all right. 
colored hair. Pink, green, purple. And we all know the only colored hair allowed in the Baptist church is blue hair on senior adults. But anyway, <laughs> you got to make room in your heart for people that do not look like you. And let me ask you, can one class reach more people or several classes? One group or several groups? One service or several services? The reason we have five locations is because, I'm telling you, we can reach more people that way. And I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying, here it is. We're one church in many locations because ultimately we've got to reach our community. Your church should look like your community. Your church should look like heaven. Whatever, the, whatever your community looks like, that's what it needs to look like. So we're a multi-ethnic, multi I mean, they're from Russia, Thailand, Taiwan. I mean, they're from all over the world. It, it is unbelievable. But that's what heaven's going to be like. Every tribe, every tongue. We've got a lot of tribes, and they all have different vibes. But what unites us is greater than what divides us. Amen. You want to carry out this command together, the people, you've got to think visitation. You are the best advertisement your church has, or the worst, one or the other. See, you want to reach people, it's just friends reaching friends. And let me tell you, when we reach them, don't run them off. We work hard to get somebody to come back to church only for some usher or some person come up and say, well, look who came to church today. You haven't been here in 10 years. I bet the roof's going to fall in. I bet the Lord's coming back. Are you going to sit there long? <laughs> now, you know what that are you going to sit there long means? That means that's your seat. We took away the bulletin at our church, saved $28,000 not printing a bulletin. Better use some money. Don't you think if God could lead the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, he could lead your church for one hour without a bulletin? You don't read it anyway. You leave it right there on the... We just have to pick up after you. We took that away. All they used it for was to save seats. Now, you can't make this stuff up. You know what they use to save seats now? Toilet paper. That's right. They'll take put toilet... Listen, it's not your seat. It's not your parking place. It's not your church. It's his. Amen. And so you've got to understand if we're going to gather the people, it's not about you. Big days still work. Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, New Year's. Listen, 82% of all unchurched people say they would attend if somebody would invite them, but only 2% of our members ever invite somebody to church. You've got to think assimilation. God forbid we win them, dunk them, and drop them. Jesus had a ministry on the move. He came down from the mountain. He crossed over to the other side. He moved throughout the land. When we moved there, I found out everything was a festival. It's a wine festival, Blackbeard Festival, Seafood Festival. So I took the name of the church, Liberty, and called it Liberty Fest. We had a big barbecue meal out there. I, I wanted to get our name out. We gave away a Jeep Liberty. Didn't use any tithe money. I knew that that wouldn't go over, and I'd never do that. So I, did, I knew it cost $20,000, and so I got 20 families to give me $1,000. I got them told the church, we're giving away a Jeep Liberty to get our name out in the community. You can't go fishing without a hook. And I said, you don't have one penny in it, so keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and just pray we'll reach some people. And I'm telling you, people came, and it, it came, and came. It was the greatest tool. And then after about 10 years... It just became a picnic. I stopped it. Because I wasn't bringing people anymore. And let me tell you, it's easy to go in your church and stop something that the other pastor started. 
or that somebody else started. Let me tell you what's hard. Stop something you started. We just keep adding to the calendar, adding to the calendar, adding to the calendar, adding to the budget, adding to the budget. We never take anything off in a Baptist church. I challenge you. Go get on a whiteboard, put everything on the calendar, put all your budget up there, and look at it under three categories. Man, God's using this. we got to keep this. Man, this is good, but I don't know. And this is dead. It's been dead for years. It just needs to be buried. Boy, this sermon's not going over good. I'm just telling you. <laughs> you want to get serious about gathering the people? See, I'm telling you, when you leave tonight, you're going to leave saying, I thank God he's not my pastor. <laughs> Everybody's going to love Pastor Philip when I get through this week. I, I'm telling you. Listen, here, here's the deal. Jesus put the disciples at risk, put them in a boat in the middle of the storm to get on the other side to reach one man who was demon-possessed. Now I ask you, what have you risked for the gospel? Why don't you get out of your comfort zone? If all you continue to do is what you've always done, then all you can expect is what you've already got. But if you want something you've never had, you're going to have to do some things you've never done. Churches operate like 1950. Nobody wants the refrigerator they had in 1950. Nobody wants that washing machine with the roller on the back you had in 1950. You don't want the income you had in 1950. You don't, don't want the medical technology you had in 1950. You don't want the rotary phone you had in 1950. But everybody wants church like we had it in 1950. I'm telling you, when the speed of change around an organization is faster than the speed of change inside the organization, it becomes irrelevant. You can walk in a building, any school, any church, any office, anywhere, and immediately, based on its look and its smell, you know exactly what year it was built. Amen. I'm not saying you've got to build a new building. I'm just saying, get, get one of them little air machines. All right, amen? <laughs> Listen, we got five campuses. We're about to launch another one in January. Hope to launch another one at the end of the year. And we're launching them in schools. It's called Portable Church. We got three trailers. One trailer is nothing but all of the sound equipment. The other trailer is nothing but all of Kidville. And the other trailer is all the hospitality stuff. And they get there at 4.30 in the morning. They set it all up. We, have we launched one in January. Are you listening? It's running over 800 right now in a school. We got reports from it this morning talking about how great that campus is doing and, and how God's moving in that campus. They set up church and take it down. It's not a new concept. Have you ever heard of the tabernacle in the Bible? They set it up and took it down. They set it up, they took it down, and they followed the cloud. And if I could tell you one thing, it would be follow the cloud. Stop following tradition. Follow the cloud. And when the Spirit says move, you move. And when the Spirit says stay, you stay. And don't you know there were times, listen, when the cloud was moving, they said, oh, we're tired of traveling. Can't we just stop? We're moving too fast. We're spending too much. And then don't you know there were times when the cloud stayed and stayed and stayed. And they said, we're sick of this place. Oh, can't I move to another ministry? Can't I go to another church? Can't I go somewhere else? And God just said, bloom where you're planted. Just stay. I'm telling you, the whole thing is this. Here, I'm afraid that people are going to show up to see God and only find us. And dead religion won't change anybody or anything. Well, I don't know where I'm at in this sermon, but let me just tell you. Here it is. 
God never changes. I am God, I change not. And we think because he changes not that we're not supposed to change. But Jesus came to change us. He came to change everything. And if we want to influence the next generation and preach the timeless truth of the word of God, you cannot use an Oldsmobile and a Crown Victoria and the technology of Blockbuster because it doesn't exist anymore. I'm reminded of the old deacon's prayer. He said, Lord... Please let something happen today that's not printed in the bulletin. <laughs> you can predict what's going to happen at church before you show up. Wouldn't it be great if God just moved in such a way? Listen, he makes all things new. You've got to see this. Number two, look, look down here, and I'll, I'll make it quick. It stretches into a crowd. It starts with a command. Then it stretches into a crowd. The men, the women, the children, the stranger. That, that, that's the acquaintance. It's real simple. How many of you know an unchurched, unsaved man, woman, boy, a girl, or acquaintance? Let's see your hand. Hold it up. If you all get them here this week, we'll have a crowd. It's real simple. And so you say, is it really about numbers? Yeah, it's about the number of lives that are going to be changed. It's about the number of marriages that are going to be restored. It's about the number of addicts that are going to be set free. It's about more people being in heaven and less people being in hell. It is about the numbers. There's a book in the Bible called Numbers. Jesus fed 5,000. How do we know? He told somebody to count. 3,000 were saved. Then 5,000 saved. 8,000 in the early church in the book of Acts. How do we know? Somebody was counting. Now here it is. It's God's will for your church to grow. And not everybody has the same potential. You, you may not have 1.7 million people. But here ought to be your prayer. You want the maximum yield for your field. The maximum yield for your field. Why is it the churches are, are not growing? Well, I think here's the cure for it, a spirit of joy. Too many times we're solid in the faith and sad in the face. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't come to church. Listen, I don't care if your theology is straight as a gun barrel if you're just as empty. There's got to be life in the church. Come every night to the revival say, man, this is going to be good. Come to church every Sunday say, man, this is going to be good. A spirit of joy, a spirit of enthusiasm. Why is it y'all can yell for Missouri football and you're a fan, but if anybody says amen at church, they're a fanatic. Amen. Listen, raise your hands, all ye people. That includes Baptist. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We've let wildfire scare us off and end up with no fire. Don't you understand Baptists were shouting Baptists before Pentecostals ever became a denomination? My grandfather was saved in a brush arbor meeting. He said Baptists were shouting long before charismatics ever came along. And let me just tell you, the reason people are leaving Baptist churches, going to charismatic churches, is not because they agree with them doctrinally, but it's because they want to go where there's life. And they act like they got something, whether they do or not. I'm just telling you, we got to have a spirit of joy. we got to have a spirit of enthusiasm. Mark Twain was once asked the secret to his success. He said, I was born excited. When you get saved, you're born again excited. Listen, what we need is more than information. We need transformation. We need to see life change. At our church, we have a slogan. It's not just church. It's life. It's not, it's not an hour on Sunday morning. It's life. It's not just church. It's life. Have a spirit of optimism. You know, I read an article one time, it's complainers live longer than people who are sweet and serene. 
It's that those people, complainers, have a purpose for living. Every morning they get up with a fresh new challenge. How many things can I grumble about today? How much satisfaction can I derive from making others miserable? It went on to say it's doubtful complainers live longer. It just seems that way to the rest of us. <laughs> you catch spirit the same way you catch a bad cold. You got too close to somebody. You're around people who love God and they're happy and, and joyful, you'll be like that. You get around an old sour grump and you'll be an old sour grump. Have a spirit of joy, a spirit of enthusiasm, a spirit of optimism, have a spirit of love. One of my favorite stories, two little boys fighting on the school playground. A little girl saw them, ran to the teacher, said, teacher, teacher, come quick. Said, there are two boys fighting on the playground and the one on the bottom sure would like to see you. <laughs> All around your church, there are people on the bottom. And they sure would like to see you. And they're not coming to see the light show or the music or even to hear the guest preacher. They're coming because somebody cared enough to invite them. You say, well, I think a church can get too big. Well, my question is always too big for what? When the crowd grew too large for Jesus, he got in a boat, pushed out in the water so his voice would project. And they'd hear him on the, the, the hillside. When a building was too small to get one more person in, he stood by and approvingly let them rip off the roof to get one more man inside. I'm telling you, when Jesus is in the house, people will want to show up. And that's what I pray for. I pray that people feel the presence of Jesus when they pull on the parking lot, when they walk through the door, before the service. You understand, you preach the first sermon before the pastor ever gets up. And whatever the problem, it can be overcome. You're either going to have growing pains or dying pains, and I like growing pains a lot better. Here it is. Why do so many churches remain small? Complacency. If you're not careful, you're saved. And your closest friends are saved. And if your family's saved and your friends are saved, you don't give a rip about anybody else. Criticism. You went out and you talked to somebody about the Lord and they criticized you. Well, the apostles were criticized. The prophets were criticized. Jesus was criticized. And if you don't want to be criticized, just have nothing, know nothing, do nothing. People will leave you alone. Another reason is conflict. Churches, listen, they've either had a fight in the middle of a fight or they're choosing upsides getting ready to have a fight. And people fight at home, fight at work, fight at school, and the last thing they want to do is come to church and watch you fight in your business meetings. Let me tell you, how many business meetings we have a year? One. We approve the budget, we approve the leaders, and after that, we have church. And if we need one, we'll call one. And if it works for 11,000 plus members, don't you think it'll work for you and your church? Amen. They don't want to come to see you fight in a business meeting. And when a church fights, it loses its testimony. And I'm telling you, generations, they may have to move the church and change the name before people ever want to come to it again. The Bible says in Psalm 133, how good, how blessed it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. For there, God commands his blessing. You want blessing on your church? Have unity. Well, I think y'all have had about all you can take. Here it is. Another reason churches stay small is just cliques, an exclusive group of friends. That's the way it's defined in the dictionary. Churches are run by two or three families. I call them mom and pop church, home-owned and operated churches. One time I heard about a, a church. It was the Jesus-only group, and so the wind came along and blew some of the letters off, and it was called us only. <laughs> us four and no more. That's a lot of churches, us four and no more. Well, the last thing it says is this. Look at verse 12. That they may hear, that they may learn, that they may fear the Lord your God and observe all the words of the law. It's real simple. That's Old Testament terminology for conversion. So it starts with a command, it stretches into a crowd, and it seeks for a conversion. Gather the people. Isn't that what the New Testament says? Go. 
go to all the people. The men, the women, the boys, the girls, the sojourner, all nations. Hear, learn, fear the Lord our God. New Testament says baptize them and then teach them to observe all things. It's the same thing. So here it is. And I close with this. It was God's plan in the Old Testament. It's God's plan in the New Testament. It's still God's plan for your church in 2019. Gather the people. I close with this story. Uh, in Arkansas, we had a group of men that met at a gas station, and they never would come to church. And so I asked a retired man in the church, would you go to the gas station, take the quarterly, just take the same literature we teach here in this building, go teach it at the gas station. So he went over there, and he, he was going to teach it, and, and he asked those guys if they would come. The first person he met on the street was Woody House. Woody had just gotten out of the state uh, prison in Arkansas, and, and instead of Woody cussing him out, saying, I don't have anything to do with church like he'd done so many times to people who had invited him to come on that day, Woody House said, no one needs to come more than I do. I might. So Donnie said, well, I'm, I'm going to pray about it, and I'll let you know when I'm going to start the class. He came on Sunday morning with a legal pad. He did something I didn't ask him to do. He did more than I asked him to do. He wrote the 10 most unlikely men to be saved in Lavaca, Arkansas on a legal pad. Brought to the altar and he prayed on Sunday morning, prayed Sunday night, prayed Wednesday night. Then he went out to Woody's house. The guy had just gotten out of prison. Woody saw him coming up the driveway. Woody tried to get in the house and lock the door before he got there, but Woody was coming off a drunk and he was too weak. And so when he got there, Woody just shook his head. He said, you're going to start that class, aren't you? He said, yeah, and you told me you'd come. He said, I know I did. He said, uh, I know I want you to come. I want you to be my outreach leader. Woody said, I can't be an outreach leader. I'm not even a Christian. He said, all I want you to do is get your buddies to come, your drinking buddies. They started the first Sunday with six men at the gas station. When I left Lavaca, Arkansas, they had 96 men in that class. 96. First person that got saved was Woody's brother, J.D. House. Woody and J.D. were the biggest fighters in the bars in Fort Smith, Arkansas. He got saved at the gas station. Big man, over 6'4". He came in on Sunday morning, walked down the aisle. He said, I just got saved at the gas station. I want to be baptized. I said, that's good. Come back tonight. Bring a change of clothes, and I'll baptize you. He said, I said, I want to be baptized. <laughs> I baptized him right there. No change of clothes, sent him home, soak him wet in his blue jeans. One by one, Woody's drinking buddies got saved. Woody got scared. Woody quit coming. Woody didn't come for a year. On a Sunday night, just like this, Woody's on the very back row with his wife, Joyce. I gave the invitation. Woody came down. He was gloriously saved. Joyce was saved, his wife. And I'm telling you, nobody brought more people to Jesus than Woody House did in Levi, Arkansas. He'd go on revival meeting with me. He'd go soul winning with me. I'm telling you, he was a changed man. So I sat down and I said, I want to hear your story. Don't you share it on Sunday morning sometimes. So let me hear it first. He told me a story. I said, oh, Woody, you can't tell that. <laughs> He'd say, I, I went to prison for this. I said, oh, they're not ready for that. So we agreed on what he could tell. And he got up and on Sunday morning, here's what he said. I was raised out in the country poor. He said, I quit school in the 11th grade because I started drinking. And he said, I dropped out of school. He said, I joined the Navy, got married, had a baby. But I was so on alcohol and drugs 
that he said it totally ruined my life. They kicked me out of the Navy. He said, I was working in a plant, a factory in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I was cleaning out from under a press when the press fell, cut both my hands off. All he had was two nubs. He said, I'm ashamed to tell you, I've been in the state prison in Arkansas nine times, and I've been married nine times. He said, but I stand here by the grace of God because of that man right over there, Donnie Green, who invited me to a Bible study at the gas station. He said, I don't know what the pastor put in the water when he baptized me, but I'm on the greatest high I've ever been on in my life. He said, I look at some of you people, and he didn't put it in the water when he baptized you because y'all ain't got it. He said, my wife and I have the greatest marriage anybody could ever have. He said, every night we get down on our knees by our bed and we pray. And God is so real in that room. I just want to open my eyes to see if I can get a glimpse of him. My family, we were, it was spring break. We were snow skiing in Colorado. I got the call. They said, Woody is in the hospital. His heart is beating about 10%. They expect him to die any day and he's calling for you. We made our way back. I got to the hospital. He hadn't spoken in three days. I went up to him. I said, Woody, Woody, it's Pastor Grant. Those eyes open. He held up those nubs. He said, help me up, Pastor. I helped him up in that bed. He said, I've been waiting on you. I said, that's what they tell me. He said, I just want to tell you one more time how much I love you. He said, I told the Lord when I got saved, I was going to live for Jesus as much as I'd live for the devil. And He said, I've had a lot of making up to do. He said, I got one last request. I said, anything, Woody, anything. He said, keep telling my story. Because there's a lot of Woodies out there that still need to be reached. A few days later, he died. And I remembered that testimony he gave in church. So I got up and said, everybody knows Woody was a changed man. I'm not going to preach his funeral. I'm going to let him preach his own funeral. We turned off the lights, turned on the video. And for 17 minutes, he preached his own funeral. When he was through, I simply got up and said, what Jesus did for Woody, he'll do for you. I gave the invitation. We had another six men saved at his funeral. I'm just telling you, all around your churches, all around your community, there are a lot of Woodies that still need to be reached. And it may be you got a Woody in your family. You're married to a Woody. you got a son or a daughter, a prodigal son or daughter who's a Woody. It may be you got a family member, aunt, uncle, who's a Woody. I'm asking you, would you do what Donnie Green did tonight? Would you just come to the altar and pray for that person that God, by his sovereign grace, would bring them to the cross? Oh, we don't have to have any music. The altar's open right now. You know a Woody you need to come pray for? Come. Just come. Who'll come? Who cares enough? Don't be like, listen, don't be that I'm saved, my friends are saved, and... I don't give a rip about anybody else. Who'll come pray for the Woodies in your family, the Woodies you work with, neighbors, co-workers, associates? Can you imagine what would happen in this association and if every church really got focused on gathering the people and reaching the Woodies? If you can't get to the altar, you can just come and kneel. Maybe you can't physically kneel. You just want to come stand. I want you to pray right where you are. Pray for those that you know they're a Woody. In your family, loved ones, friends, co-workers. 
People that you've given up. Who are the most, who, who are the 10 most unlikely people to ever be saved in your community? That's what I'm talking about. And it may be here tonight that you are a Woody. You're far from God. You're lost. If you died today, you'd go to hell. I'm telling you, no one's beyond the grace of God. And just like Woody got saved on a Sunday night, God will save you. Doesn't matter what you've done. God will forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll wash you white as snow. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Surely he bore our sorrow, and by his stripes we're healed. Would you come tonight and be saved? Let me ask you this question. You're a teacher of Sunday school. You've got a group. When's the last time somebody got saved in your church because of your Sunday school class? When's the last time somebody walked an aisle because of your group? Would you say tonight, Lord, I'm, I'm serving you, but I don't want to just go through the motions. I want to see people come to Christ. God, I, I want to dedicate myself afresh and anew to be the Sunday school teacher you called me to be. To work with those young people. To work with that next generation. I'm going to ask pastors here tonight to come and stand. If you're a pastor, would you come and stand down here at the altar? Pastor Phillip's going to be here as well. You want to talk to somebody, you want to pray with somebody, they'll be here. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I've preached everything you've laid on my heart. These people have listened so attentively. But Lord, I don't want to leave without people knowing where they stand with you without people understanding the purpose of the church and why we do what we do. And God, would you let us leave like a mighty army tonight, soldiers of the cross, filled with the Holy Spirit, going out there to reach a culture that is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-the church. But you said that the world will know we're your disciples by the way we love one another. So God, fill us with your love, love for you. Love for one another. God, I pray that forgiveness would take place. There may be some people here tonight. Lord, they're, they're mad at somebody. They haven't spoken to somebody for years. They dodge them every time they see them. God, would you just help them forgive because you've forgiven us. Lord, we need revival. I didn't come out here to just go through the motions. Lord, we got more work than we know what to do in Virginia. We got so many things that I need for you to fix in Virginia. God, our church is not everything it needs to be. This pastor is not everything that I need to be. So, God, I'm praying for revival back home. And, God, in these days that you've ordained, you said for us to make the most of every opportunity. So, God, give us, I pray, heaven sent, Holy Ghost revival. Let us make the most of this opportunity tonight. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. These men are standing right here. You need to come to be saved. You need to come for baptism. You need to take your next step. I want us to stand. Everybody stand. I want you to come. Come to these pastors. You come to your pastor. Pastors are right here. Would you come to your pastor, whatever you need prayer about? Some of you need to come to your pastor and say, Pastor, I'm with you. I believe what the man of God said tonight. Let's go back and gather the people. I'm fired up. God touched my heart tonight.
you come to your pastor, just encourage him. Say, Pastor, let's go. Let's reach our community. You're a deacon. You're a Sunday school teacher. You come while we sing right now.